May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. On Tuesday night, about 25, 27 of us gathered and had delicious pancakes with delightful fillings. And then on Wednesday morning and evening, some of us gathered here and received ash crosses. And this morning, we sang 40 days and 40 nights. It must be Lent. So what is Lent all about? What are we doing it? Well, that's quite a good question. Turn to your neighbour. Have a conversation. What's Lent all about from you? There's millions of years of experience gathered in this church, so what do you think it's all about? Talk to your neighbour for a moment. Ideas after that, but what did you talk about? Well, we thought it was a, well, Sandy asked the question, um, well, it's a, a period of deeper spirituality and reflection and um, going without things to focus the mind. And we wondered about the link to Judaism and also Islam, which have similar things. Absolutely similar things, yep. It can be. Yep. We wondered if the joy of Easter was made more, more visible by, by some form of deprivation or preparation. That's, that's a good thought, yeah. It's a very good thought. Just have to spend more time to pray for what's happening in the world and just pray for help to go to people that are struggling in the wars and so that people are aware of what's happening around. Yep. So, so it focuses on your faith. When you're not doing something that's different, this is the time it's Trying to obtain something. More holy, more improved, better version of yourself. Yeah. Do you, um, trying to enter into Jesus' journey over those 40 days and nights and what it would be like for him? Yep. <coughs> and call it more air-conditioned conditions. Yep. But he had angels. He did have angels. Maybe they flapped their wings. Adrian. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's also a time to stop the reasons of God. Because the world can drag you so far away from God. can. So it's all of those things. There isn't one right answer. There's lots of right answers. Uh, and so as we begin Lent, I invite you to think about that. Uh, this morning as we begin Lent, we've been given two, well, three readings. Um, so the first one was from Genesis, which is the Rainbow Covenant, which comes after the story of the flood, which is a kind of troubling story in itself. Uh, God using violence to redeem the violence and to start again uh, and promises never to do that again so that's an interesting covenant to think of as we think about where we are going during Lent which is to Good Friday 
So in, the, in this story, Jesus uses the flood to wipe out humanity apart from eight people. I think that's what Peter said. Uh, and the end of that says, I will never do that again. And so this covenant is between God and all creation. So sometimes we think that the covenants are between the people of Israel and God or humanity and God. But the very first covenant is between God and all creation. So this thing that we are doing in Lent isn't just about us. It is about all people and all creation. And the link with the 1 Peter reading, I think it was 1 Peter, is that uh, Peter talks about, or whoever wrote that book, uh, talks about uh, on Holy Saturday when Jesus descends into Hades, the land of the dead, it's not to all the dead, it is to those who were wiped out in the flood. So it is a kind of second chance to the pre-flood people. So that was Peter's idea of what was happening on Holy Saturday. That's just a fun fact for you to kind of store away. So the second reading was from Mark 1, and, uh, and it feels like we've been here for about a month and a half, which is about right. So uh, around the 7th of January, we had the baptism of Jesus. So we heard the first part about this morning's gospel reading, and Mark is so short and pithy and dramatic that we've kind of gone back to that because actually the wilderness story is two verses and the and the lectionary writers thought we needed more than two verses and we needed to put that into the context of what was happening in Mark. The other two gospel writers are much more verbose, verbose and so uh, you can just have their version of what happens in the wilderness. And so it begins with Jesus being baptised, which is... Well, it's quite a violent little story if we kind of pay attention to it. So Jesus is baptised and as he comes up out of the water or out of the Jordan, uh, he sees heaven being ripped open. It's not a nice little unzipping, it is, an un, it is a ripped open. And this divide that has existed between creation and God uh, is ripped open and the and the spirit descends, and it's like a dove. But some comment, or one commentator said, it's more like a dive bombing dove, uh, and it's not gentle, and it doesn't land in a soft, nice way on on Jesus. Although most of the translators say he descends onto Jesus, the Greek word is in. He descends into Jesus. It's a dive bombing dove that enters into his into Jesus, and Jesus hears the words. You are my son, you are the beloved in whom I find happiness. And then the Spirit casts Jesus out into the wilderness. Casts. The same word that is used when Jesus is casting out demons. So physically just taken from the Jordan and you can see the Jordan Valley there that's looking from the Judean wilderness down into the valley. And there's, if you look carefully, you can kind of see a little bit of green. That's the Jordan River. And then on the other side is the kingdom of the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan. And 
land of Moab and all those kind of good things. So, and this is a bleak place. This is a harsh place. It's not a nice, easy place. And in this place, he is among the wild animals. And who knows what that means? Well, there are two ideas of what that might mean. One is the angels keep him safe from the wild animals. Or that this is an apocalyptic reading, event. This is the end of time kind of event. When, as the prophets keep saying, the wild animals live in peace with people and with each other. And so, in this wilderness story, Jesus is living out God's dream for humanity and for all creation at peace, at one with the wild animals who are at one with him. This is a barren place filled with danger. It's a hot place. When we were there and when I took this photo, it was about 40 degrees. And you can see how dry it is. Although, when it rains... Uh, St George's College has put up some Lenten reflections and one of the pictures they put up was a very similar place to this after it had rained and the hillside is green. So the life is there waiting, waiting. It's a beautiful place filled with wonder. It's a place similar to where the Israelites walked for 40 years on the other side of the Jordan in a much sandier wilderness, true, but still the wilderness, while they wrestled with what it meant to be the people of God, what it meant to live in the presence of God, because God was leading the way as a, a pillar of cloud or a pillar of fire. What does it mean to be the people of God in the presence of God? It was about their identity. This is a place of new beginnings and new preparation. And here, in this barren place, Jesus is tested by Satan. Now we usually use the word, in fact, uh, in this place he is tested by Satan, uh, but there's no mention of fasting in Mark's Gospel. Uh, he is served by the angels. Uh, and he is at one with the wild animals. The fasting ideas come from Matthew and Luke, not in Mark. doesn't mention fasting at all. So if you're not into fasting, you can go with Mark and, and not do that. <laughs> the interesting thing about this is that the angels serve him, they care for him. Um, I think Matthew says they care for him after the 40 days. Mark just says they care for him. And when Jesus, so straight after this, after John is arrested, Jesus goes to Capernaum. He heals, uh, casts out the demon, same word, that was possessing the man. Uh, then he goes to Andrew and Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law who serves him, same word. So Jesus is served by the angels, served by Peter's mother-in-law, served by the woman who follow him. And at the end of his mission, end of his ministry, he says he came to serve. So this is one of the things he learns in the wilderness, what it means to serve and to be served. So he is tested or tempted by Satan. When I was at theological college, our speech teacher, J&T, 
had a real thing about the word nice. He didn't like it when it was applied to people. He said the word nice should only ever be applied to things like chocolate cake. Chocolate cake was nice, people weren't nice. So I had great fun, I was the sheriff when he retired and at the last lunch on a Friday, I wrote a poem which I read to him about him and in the poem I said, JNT, you are nice. <laughs> Narrowed his eyes again. For me, the word temptation is similar. Because it, it kind of feels like Jesus was tempted to have some chocolate cake. Which isn't what this is about at all. This is a real test. The 40 years for the people of God going through the wilderness had been a test. A test of their sense of identity. Who are they as the people of God? And that's what's going on here. Jesus is being tested on what it means to be the Son of God. Now, when we read the word Son of God, we immediately think God is saying, you're divine. But actually, that's not what's going on here. Because Jesus isn't the only person called Son of God in the Bible. And the other person definitely weren't, definitely weren't divine. So one of them was David. He wasn't divine. Sometimes he was just a naughty boy. But it was about his relationship between him and God and the fact that he had been chosen for a particular task. David, son of God. So was Jesus going to be like David? There was another person who was going around at the time of Jesus who was also called the son of God. His name was Tiberius. And in his list of titles was son of God, prince of peace. Was Jesus going to be a son of God like Tiberius, emperor of Rome? Or was Jesus going to be a son of God in another way? And if you actually read Matthew and Luke's accounts, it is the Satan testing Jesus and tempting him to be like the Roman emperor, to be like David, to exercise his ministry through violence, and power. That's the real temptation. To be like the others. But he says. No. That's not. Who I am. And that's not what I'm about. So he is wrestling with what it means. To be the beloved son of God. And he's wrestling with. What is his task to do. And how he will live that out. And then we see that being played out at the end of the story with him on a cross. And then after, Jesus, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee announcing the good news saying, Now is the time. Here comes God's kingdom. Let that blow your minds and change your hearts and lives. Trust this good news. It was on, as one of the commentators said. It has begun, and it has begun at speed. And in the next few verses, we will have him in Capernaum, casting out demons, healing people who are sick. After the Sabbath is over, healing all the other people who are brought to the door, going into the wilderness, back into the wilderness to pray, and saying, I have not come just for the people of Capernaum, but for all of Galilee, 
and his ministry just quickly spreads and so does his fame. Jesus gets stuck right into it as we have heard over the last couple of weeks. So Lent then. What does all this have to do about us and our Lent? Last week I invited you at the beginning of the sermon to think about four words that you would use to describe Jesus. And then after you'd kind of thought about that and had a conversation, I said, Jesus came to show us who God is. That is what the gospel writers are saying again and again and again. Who is God? You want to know who God is? Look at Jesus. So we should take those four words and apply them to God. That is who we think or who Jesus is showing us God to be. For much of the last 12 years, I've talked about the three questions that shape how I engage with faith and how to live out that faith. And so those three questions are, whose are we, who are we, and what is ours to do? And so the answer to that first question, whose are we, is found in those four words. That is who God is. And who are we? We are made in the image of that God that we name using those four words. And then given that, what is ours to do? Like Jesus, how do we live that out? How do we live those four words out in our own lives? And that's what Lent is a time for. Spending time thinking about, praying about, whose are we? Who is God? And how, who are we made in the image of that God? And so that involves spending more time in prayer and more time uh, getting rid of the things that distract us from that and being more generous with our money and our time for others. So those three things stand at the centre of Ramadan and at the centre of uh, Jewish similar times within Judaism. One of the most amazing experiences I've ever had was going to the, the main mosque in New York on the first Friday of Ramadan for midday prayers. The guy I was with, had, his father was a Muslim and his mother was a Pentecostal, so he'd grown up Sunday spending uh, the mornings at the Pentecostal church and the afternoon at the mosque learning about both faiths and then in his teenage years had decided he would be a Christian and now he's an Anglican priest, Episcopalian priest. Uh, but he, he goes to the mosque and keeps those connections going and listening to the imam in his sermon and I went, you know, any Christian preacher could have preached that. It was all about the importance of uh, those three things and coming to and then saying, coming to Friday prayers during Ramadan doesn't make you a good Muslim. It's how you live out all the rest of the year. It's true. True for us as well. So, as we enter into our Lent, what does it mean for us to be beloved children of God? What does it mean... What distracts us from being beloved children of God? What might we need to give up? And what might we need to take up to live that out? So this year, I'm thinking about what I can give up 
And so one of the things I'm giving up is being grumpy. <laughs> Which means I have to also give up the things that make me grumpy. So that'll be hard. But then I think, then I thought, well, I'm, if I'm going to give that up, what am I going to, what am I going to take up instead? Being grateful, being thankful. So if you do give things up, I invite you to think about also what might you take up to replace it with. Yeah, well, it might do. So, you know, Lent is a 40 days. You make the commitment to do it for 40 days. What happens after the 40 days, who knows? But make the commitment for 40 days. Whose are we? Who are we? What are ours? What is ours to do? Spend a moment thinking about that, and then we will affirm our faith in the God whose covenant, whose promise is faithful and with all creation. <laughs>